Welcome to our third episode of Wildlife Health Talks. We are still surrounded by the lush rainforest of King Lake Adventure Camp in Victoria, where the annual conference of the Australasian WDA is taking place. I'm your host Kat. I am a wildlife health researcher and a science communicator and a vet and based at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. My guest today is Dr. Perry Wolfe. Perry has been a member of the WDA for many years. Since 2019, she has been the association's executive manager. She will tell us all about her past as a vet on Hollywood film sets, how she once castrated a film star, her passion for pot-bellied pigs and her duties as executive manager holding the WDA together. Welcome to the show, Perry. Thank you, Kat. It's great to be here. And I must say... Your studio is deadly. In what way? Well, I just learned today that that's an Australian word that means really over the top and cool, like like sick, or I don't know what they say in Germany when things are really awesome. <laughs> this this one is just amazing. Thank you, Perry. I really appreciate it. It's a little it. stuffy, but otherwise it's beautiful. <laughs> Perry and I are sitting in my car, and uh, the sun is about to come out, and we're getting grilled, but um, we're enjoying it, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yeah, it's great. So, uh, Perry, let's talk a little bit about your WDA past. When did you join? I have been probably in 1985. I've been a member of WDA for many, many decades. Wow. Well, yeah. even born then, I did not. I know. <laughs> and that's and that, that's what I have to say when I give talks is, you know, I've been a vet for longer than most of you have been alive. <laughs> <laughs> what is it that you like about the WDA? I, well, first, I like the mission. I've always been attracted to exotic animals and spent a lot of time doing um, in zoological gardens doing zoo work, and I've always loved loved um, exotics and wild animals. But I really have a pull. I've always had this pull toward wildlife, and I think because I just just the fact that it's out there in nature is so amazing to me. It really speaks to my soul. Um, and the WDA just embodies that. I mean, it's a group of really interesting people, a group of really fun people. It's casual. There's no one's putting on airs. I love the fact that not everybody introduces themselves as doctor. We kind of take away that and level the field of who everybody is. We're all experts or professionals or students uh, in wildlife health and conservation, and we're all working together for the common goal and the and also the fact that it involves p members from all around the globe that's uh, phenomenal i just i love it and i learn so much from different people and their different experiences that is pretty cool for sure and you, indeed you can make friends from all over the world yes very handy yes. when you travel a lot oh absolutely <laughs> <laughs> um, i'm sure you have more than one favorite memory to share but um, can you pick one of your favorite memories that are related to the wda well, this is just, this is a place memory, and that was when we were in Iguazu in Argentina, and just going to the falls, and just standing there and watching that amount of water go over these falls from, you know, different countries, because it's like at the intersection of a number of the countries. I think it's Bolivia, Argentina, and... Maybe it's not Ecuador. I can't remember what the fourth, third one is, embarrassingly. Um, but, 
you know, we were all there on a field trip. The mist was like blowing over you and just the power of nature. And then we, you know, drive back to the hotel through the rainforest. It was, it was really magical. And those are the wonderful experiences that you have with people and, you know, going out and birding with friends or, you know, just having dinner in an exotic place with many of your friends and talking about all sorts of fun things. And, you know, it's the camaraderie of the group and the fact that we hold our meetings in places where you can step out the door and experience nature. That is true. That is very cool. And uh, yeah, people can already tell, tell it's all about hard work, isn't it? Yes, yeah. very much so. <laughs> Let's talk a bit about your job. One might wonder, what do you actually do as an executive manager of the WDA? Well, everything. <laughs> I can say I do everything. I, 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 you know, make sure that the wheels stay on the organization, you know, that all of our memberships get paid and that, that all of our contracts are paid and trying to always see if we can invite more partners in for financing for things like students and, you know, opportunities to increase the amount of money that we can put out to support wildlife projects that our future leaders are, are doing in particular. Um, work with the local conference hosts on conference planning and, you know, which is exciting to kind of see that come together in the different frameworks and, and ideas that people have in the different places that we're having the conference. Um, always being a cheerleader for WDA, constantly looking at our internal products and trying to uh, make them better, make them easier, make them more relevant. Uh, you know, we've recently hired uh, Lindell White from Tasmania, who is our communications officer. And she and I are working really closely on just making sure that people know w there's so much going on in our organization. It's so dynamic. And yet we have the hardest time getting it into people's, in front of people. And so in, we want to serve it up so they'll read it. You know, we've got Twitter, we've got Instagram, we've got Facebook, we've got a, a fortnightly uh, news called The Transmission. We have That's our right. quarterly newsletter. And there's so much information in there that is beneficial to them. Lots of opportunities for jobs, training opportunities, um, you know, membership. We're trying to make membership equitable across, uh, across countries that cannot afford to pay um, the regular rates that uh, those that live in a higher income country can, can afford. So we're always thinking about how we can draw wildlife professionals in from every country across the world and how can we make that a positive and meaningful experience for them. So that's, that's what I do. That sounds like a lot of work and a lot of like a Jane of all trades. Yes, yes. <laughs> it is, I'm learning. I'm actually learning a lot of things I didn't know as being a vet. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's fun. Yeah. All right. So um, let's go back and dig a bit about um, in, your, in your history as a vet. When you, you told me this before and I love that story. So you worked as a vet on a Hollywood film set. So what does that or did that entail and did it make you rich? Well, I guess you wouldn't be it here with me now. I wouldn't it, be here with you did, now right? if yeah. it had made me rich. Um, I there is so Hollywood, obviously, a lot of animals, and uh, you know these are working animals. That's a business to them, which is a little bit different for most people to think about. Is these animals are a little bit of a business. So you know you're not if you come in with an eight hundred thousand dollar bill to you know mobilize a tiger. 
and eh, that tiger's not really going to pay for himself. Um, so you basically are, you know, trying to do their ba their needs. You know, they need to get vaccinated. They need to have their teeth done, all of those types of things. Some of the most challenging things I did was try to get animals to travel for movies that were being made internationally. The Tales of Narnia that was made in New Zealand, uh, the wolves were part, the wolf, the live wolves went over. They were part CGI in the movie. Um, and it was really fun because I spent so much time with them. I got to, I got to know them and their features and I could pick them out in the sort of real CGI face that they had. So you would, you traveled with them? I didn't travel with them. I didn't travel with them. Um, but, you know, we tested them for about 10 diseases to get into, you know, to make it into New Zealand and had to do rabies titers. And, you know, I was on the phone with the vets there saying, okay, now what, what? What do you want for this? That type of thing. <laughs> Did they still have to quarantine like every other animal that they, comes in? They got a modified quarantine because I like see. we they were isolated behind like a mosquito, um, you know, uh, screening for like two weeks before they left. They had to have rabies shots. They had to have rabies titers. They had to have titers for all these diseases that they could possibly bring in. And at the end, they had to be quarantined behind a insect vector proof barrier oh wow yeah Intense. which was which was amazing now that made that made me a little bit of money just because I spent a lot of time working on it most of the time when you're on set you're there with a dangerous animal so you stand around with a dart gun so that if the bear does x and doesn't do y like it's supposed to do and there's a chance that there's a risk you're there with a dart gun to step in and immobilize it. So you're more like a security a bouncer. You're, you're really a security. <laughs> I mean, these animals are so well trained that they're, they're trainers. You know, sometimes you can be, a vet can be very distracting to an animal, especially if they know you. Um, because don't they like don't you necessarily associate you with positive experiences. So I worked mostly with them in the compounds and then tried to, you know, work with them under the constraints for getting them ready to go um, on international sets. And most of the time they were going to, you know, they were working locally in Hollywood, but, you know, even just dealing with health certificates, making, they had to be driven all the way down into Los Angeles and signed, and they had to be done within a certain time before they leave. So it was very, you know, tight timing um, to get all that done. Was it as exciting as it sounds? Uh, no, not really, not really. It was, um, no, it wasn't as exciting. They're, you know, the animals are great to work with. The people were wonderful to work with, too. You got to be very close to a lot of animals. Um, but also, you know, I worked a little bit to help convince them, you know, when, that primates were being phased out. And primates in working uh, movie situations was not a great life for them because they have a very short working life. Not just because they're too big, you know, they're, they're cute. They grow up and they become sexually mature and they're not the best. Um, so, you know, trying to help them place these animals in, in good conditions um, where they would live out a long, you know, 50 plus year life, especially with the great apes, is, is really important. But I did get to meet Cheetah, one of, the, uh, one of the film, one of the original cheetahs, or one of the numerous original cheetahs probably from the Tarzan movies, Ooh. who lives in Las Vegas, and I actually have some artwork that was done by him. Oh, wow. With paints. 
Oh, are you bringing that to the next um, WDA no, I should. A I'll bring it to the, the next auction. auction for sure. I think that would be quite profitable. <laughs> yes. <in the> end. <laughs> yes, I think people would love it. <laughs> 100%. I learned one of your deepest secrets that you told me that almost no one who knows you knows about and that can be used as like, a, I don't know what you call it, passcode when you ever get kidnapped and they yes. need to know are you still alive? Is it really you? Then this is something they would ask potentially. I feel like this is the right place to finally share your story. Please tell us what is your, your secret. Well, when, you know, I have actually castrated a movie star. Wow. And it was, was not Arnold Schwarzenegger. No, anyway. it was not Arnold. No, no. And it was not Johnny Depp, although he was the other movie star Might be helpful in the somebody. movies. Yeah, yes, I've heard some weird things about him. But anyway, we had some capuchin monkeys that were um, starring in the Pirates of the Caribbean. And one of them came in as a young male. And he got to the point where mm, it was not appropriate for him uh, to be there as an intact male. So we ended up castrating him. And uh, so that is my deep, dark secret that... I love yeah, that. That's I, pretty I cool. I hope you remember that in case I'm taken. Of course, but now it's too late because the... Now everybody's going to know. Yeah, you're beans right. Beans are spilled. <laughs> um, so besides you working for the WDA, you actually have another job. I don't know how you manage that all, but you clearly are. So that's great. Um, so you're taking care of the pot-bellied pigs of Los Angeles and surroundings. Do you have an idea how many pigs live in Los Angeles oh, in, in, in the greater Los Angeles area, there's at least hundreds and hundreds of pigs. Wow. Pigs. Well, that's good for your business, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty selective because I don't have a ton of time to do that. But I have some clients that I've had. Uh, you know, I have a pig who's 18 years old. I think I probably started seeing him when he was 10 um, and would fly down when I worked in Minnesota to trim his feet. And he plays a little tiny piano and he also um, plays a little tambourine. He picks it up in his mouth and shakes it. And his mom used to take him hiking in the mountains um, surrounding. And then the best thing about him, and, you know, with the bushfires here, and we deal with very similar issues in Southern California, is he's trained to, when his mom says evacuate, he is, we have to evacuate, his name is Romeo. Um, he walks up a little dog ramp, goes into his kennel, they shut the door, they can then, he's on a wagon, and they can wagon him up to the car and then just put the kennel in. And in some very, very bad wildfires in like 2018, they had to evacuate. And at like 15 years old, he remembered that and still went up and got in and went down to the shelter. And he was the star of the shelter. I can imagine. Everybody loved him. And he's very sweet. He's, he's probably about 80 pounds very sociable, quite pretty, and, um, you know, just knows he's special. Well, lucky him that they allowed pets in there. Yes. No, they do. Well, this was not a, this was a, they do use a lot of horse arenas and things and livestock uh, event centers, like a fair, and that's where a lot of the animals go when they're close to the L.A. I mean, this is, yeah, so, and I like, I like working with them. They're um, very, very smart. I think the worst thing for me has been if I'm there to euthanize them because they might have severe arthritis or something else is going on, they know why I'm there. And it's kind of unnerving. But they're fun to work with. What is it that makes it so tricky for most people to treat them that uh, most vets would actually turn them away? Well, I think they're, people are a little bit uncomfortable with them. Um, their superpower is their voice. They have a very big voice and they're not afraid to use it. 
Um, and almost then, like people, isn't it? It's almost like mm. people. And they are, um, I use a special cocktail that I got from being my experience and, and comfort level from being in wildlife and exotic species. And that's a combination of metatomidine, midazolam, and um, butorphanol. And it works really well in pigs. And it is, the thing I like about it is when you're done with the procedure, you inject them again and they wake up. And because we are, we have access to concentrated levels, I mean, I can immobilize a, over a 200 pound pig with like two mLs of liquid and inject that very fast. And they go to sleep very quickly. That's very calming. And then, so I don't, I don't ever get to the screaming point. I don't like the screaming. It's too stressful for everybody involved. And they're very much, I think the biggest drawback to them is they can be heavy and you can't restrain them when they're awake unless they're a baby and then they'll probably scream. Um, and, but they're really kind of like a, you know, between people and dogs, you're, you're pretty covered with, um, your approach to medicine with them because so much, you know, um, lab animal medicine, they've been used in so many clinical trials for people. A lot of drugs are, are um, you know, were, were really tested in pigs. And then in other ways, they're very similar to dogs. So you can use a lot of dog medication. Do you, would you say they make good pets? They can be challenging pets um, because they say they have about the intelligence level of a toddler. Um, they're very food motivated. They're very smart. So it's important for the person to provide enrichment because the easiest way to satisfy them is to just feed them and they're done with feeding in two minutes and then they beg for more um, they're very clean they only potty in one spot so you can train them That's to potty remarkable. in one yeah. spot they usually pee in one spot uh, i can be in a house that has pigs in it i would never know they do not smell because they're very clean however they can be you have to be the boss And I know some people that are totally, totally manipulated by their pigs. And it can be, can be dangerous and it's not a very pleasant experience for the owners. And oftentimes the owners don't, uh, don't realize how dominated they are. I usually, they're fasted overnight before I come in and mobilize them. And I say, well, I'll be there. I have to wait for my tech and, you know, I'll probably be there between around nine. And, and they're like... Um, but she's used to eating at 6.30, and if I don't feed her, she'll start screaming. And I'm like, she won't. She won't scream. She, she, for some reason, she knows something's up, and she doesn't scream. And it, But it's amazing. That's the first question that comes out of their mouth. Can you come at 5 a.m. when I get up and feed her, or she's going to start screaming? It's like, no, I'll come at 9, <laughs> but I guarantee you she'll be fine. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So um, do you want to share, to finish up, do you want to share a story which I found um, like the most hilarious of all, and you have quite a few of those, uh, of a police officer who is um, one of your patient's owners and oh, he sleeps yes. with four be uh, yes. pigs in, a, in his bed? Yes, we had... Uh, Uh, a lovely couple that came in who'd recently lost their pig and they brought their new one in for me. I think I was trimming his tusks and his feet and giving him his vaccinations. And I was, and the, you know, the, the man was like six, five shaved head, very well muscled. And it turned out he was a vice cop, drug cop, uh, down in a, in Compton, which is a very notoriously rough, part of Los Angeles, historically very rough. 
And so we were just chatting, very nice people, and I asked them, well, how's this little guy working into your family? Because they had some other pigs in the family, too. And they said, well, you know, we love him, but we're sort of disappointed that he's not sleeping in bed with us and the rest of the pigs. <laughs> so I just, I don't know, I just didn't know what to say, <laughs> but I can just, you know, vice cop by day, piggy daddy by night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! See, I love the story. Amazing, <laughs> and it's and it's interesting because I had another couple where the pigs were his, and she had parrots. They both couldn't really, they didn't really care for their spouse's choice in pigs. But it's very unusual to find the husband is the pig guy. So, and, and I and I think, you know, maybe the guy has a hunting dog or something like that, but he had five pigs, and they were his pigs. Wife could have gotten rid of them in a heartbeat. <laughs> well, lucky the wife uh, was allowed to stick around. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks so much, Perry, for chatting with me today. It's so much fun to speak with you. <laughs> this has been great. Thank you, Kat. Thanks for listening to Wildlife Health Talks. We will be back with a new story next week. Bye for now.